Father, please, uh, Lord, Lord, we need you, Father. We can't do anything on our own, Father. It is by your grace that we would hear your word, by your grace that it would change us, by your grace that it would move us, Lord. Lord, please show up this morning, Lord. Please, I pray that your spirit would would use your words to us, Lord, and it would transform our hearts and it would renew us, Father, and that it would transform our lives. Lord, please be glorified this morning. Please be honored. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the last time that I taught before my sabbatical, as Emmanuel called it, um, was I taught on Zacchaeus, and I taught on this encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19. And the, the focus of that, as you look at chapter, or verse, verse 10 of that, is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And last time I talked about Jesus coming to seek the lost, and we really focused on seeking. This time we're going to talk about the saving. Okay, Jesus came to save the lost. So it's two parts. This is the second part. But let me read through chapter 19 of Luke, verses 1 through 10. To bring us back up to speed and then I'll review what we talked about last time before we move forward. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So last time the focus was that Jesus came to seek the lost, right? And we talked about first just to understand this idea of what does it mean to seek? And as we read that in Scripture and we read that particularly in the Gospel of Luke, how does Luke communicate that? What does it look like to seek? And we talked about that to seek something was to go. It had great importance. We would only seek what was of great importance. And if it's of great importance, we also would seek it with great urgency. We've got to do this now. We've got to be about this right now. It's so important. We're going to do it right now. It becomes this priority as we talked about. And not just that it's important and not just that it's urgent, but that we would also do it with great resolve. That we will do that and we will be about that until it's completed. Remember we talked about the woman sweeping her house looking for the coin. She was going to sweep her house. She was going to continue to do that until she found this lost coin. She was seeking after it. And so we're to seek the lost in the same way. And we do that because it's also these objects that we're seeking, these individuals are lost, are of great value. They're of great value to God. They are valuable in His kingdom. He wants us to seek after the lost. And so we talked about who did Jesus come to seek? How did He seek them? And then what was the response to His seeking? So remember we talked about that He came to seek the lost. He came to seek these lost sinners... These that were ruined, these that were destroyed, these that were worthless. They had no value. They were a lost cause. That's who Jesus came to seek. He came to seek those who were disrespected, those that were marginalized. We talked about socially, morally, psychologically, physically, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor, the prostitute, the tax collector. 
all those that have been cast out, that's who Jesus came to see. But how did he seek them? Remember as we talked about, he went and Zacchaeus was up in a tree and this crowd was pressing in on him. And all these people were around Jesus and Jesus left the crowd and he goes after Zacchaeus. He goes after this tax collector. He leaves the crowd and he seeks him out, out of the crowd. And he does that incarnationally. He does that. Jesus didn't send someone else to do that. Jesus did that himself. He went and he went to Zacchaeus and he interacted with him. And he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm coming into your house. I want to be with you today. I want to spend time with you. I'm going to share this meal with you. I'm going to spend the night at your house. I'm going to stay with you. And he was also relational. I want to have interaction with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. Come down. I'm going to be with you. But what was the response to who Jesus sought and how he sought them? How did the crowd respond? They all complained. They all grumbled. It wasn't just the Pharisees. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't those around. It was everyone complained that Jesus would seek this type of individual, that he would want relationship with this, this individual, that he would go after Zacchaeus. They all complained. They all grumbled. Everyone. That if we're truly neighbor-focused, if we're going to do that, if we're going to seek the lost, then we'll seek in the same way that Jesus did. It'll be a priority. We'll do it with intensity. We'll do it with great resolve. And we'll seek those who Jesus valued because they are valuable. That we should reflect, we should seek in the same way that He sought. Despite the crowd, despite the complaining, despite the criticism, despite what other people say, these are the individuals, this is who we're to go and to seek because that's who Jesus came to seek. And if we do that, we'll have an amazing privilege that we get to participate in what Jesus Christ is doing. If we do that, then we'll have the amazing privilege to see people, not just that we'll seek them and have a relationship with them, but that salvation would come. Because Jesus didn't come just to seek the lost, but He also came to save the lost. And if we seek the lost with Jesus, then we're going to get to see the lost saved. We're going to get to see salvation come to this house, come to this neighborhood, come to these people. And that's what God wants to do, and that's what God will do. And so this story with Zacchaeus is a real-life ministry experience, right? Jesus, as we looked at chapter 14, He taught about going to the least of these, and then He gave these examples, these parables in chapter 15. And then as we get to chapter 19, here's a real-life example of Jesus seeking and saving Zacchaeus. So as I said last week, or last time, this passage is amazingly neighbor-focused. And this is hard. This is difficult. It's difficult to do this. But I think that to understand this seeking, to understand what Jesus was doing, and to understand that we're supposed to do the same thing, we have to understand the gospel. That this doesn't make sense to us because we don't get the gospel. And I think that that is the biggest hindrance to us being neighbor-focused, is that we have an incomplete grasp, an incomplete view, a low view of the gospel. And so thankfully, this passage is not just neighbor-focused, it's also gospel-driven. The gospel is throughout this. You see the gospel throughout this interaction with Zacchaeus. And we're going to talk about that now as he came to save the lost. And so let me just explain what I think is the best definition I've heard of the gospel. And the best definition I've heard is three words. It says, God saves sinners. 
That's the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. That's the gospel most simplified. And let me just explain to you those three words as he does, because I think it's a good place for us to start, a good place for us to consider the gospel. So the first, God. I'm going to describe each of those three words. God, the triune, Jehovah, Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons working together in sovereign wisdom, power, and love to achieve the salvation of a chosen people. The Father electing, the Son fulfilling the Father's will by redeeming, and the Spirit executing the purpose of the Father and Son by renewing. That's God. So God does what? God saves. Saves. He does everything first to last that is involved in bringing man from death and sin to life and glory. God plans, God achieves, God communicates redemption. God calls and keeps, God justifies, God sanctifies, and God glorifies. God does all that. God saves. And who does God save? He saves sinners. And sinners are men and women as God finds them. Guilty, vile, helpless, powerless, unable to lift a finger to do God's will or better their spiritual lot. So in those three words, God saves sinners. That's the gospel. And that has to be the foundation of everything that we are. That has to be the foundation of everything that we do. You guys have heard me talk about that we need to be gospel-driven. If we're gospel-driven, we'll be church-centered and we'll be neighbor-focused, but we've got to be gospel-driven. The gospel has to be behind everything we do and everything that we understand that we are. And that's what we're going to see today is that Jesus came to save the lost. God saves sinners. And so I want to go through this passage, go through this story, and I want to show you guys the gospel here because Zacchaeus had a gospel encounter with Jesus Christ. Okay, All the components are here. The gospel had been demonstrated, and Zacchaeus knew it. The gospel was proclaimed to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus came to a point then after the proclamation where he had to respond. He had to decide, what am I going to do? And then we see that Zacchaeus, his heart was transformed. And so we're going to walk through that piece by piece as we look at that. And first is demonstration. So if you look at verse 3 through 4, it says, And he was seeking, this is talking about Zacchaeus, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was a small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And if you read this closely, Zacchaeus didn't just want to see Jesus. He didn't want to just see what Jesus looked like and who this guy was. He actually wanted to say, who is this Jesus that I've been hearing about? Like, I've heard about his demonstration of the gospel, these results, what Jesus is doing. I've heard about what he's doing, and I've got to see this man. He didn't just want to see him with his eyes. He's like, who is Jesus? I've got to understand who Jesus is. And so you say, why? Why did he want to see who Jesus was? If you look at chapter 15... What was going on at that time, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners, which Zacchaeus was one of, they were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Zacchaeus knew about and he had seen and heard about the demonstration of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, this man Jesus, would sit down with sinners, that he would come to the table, that he would pursue them, that he would eat with them, that he would identify with them, that he was healing them, and that he would teach them. He had heard that. 
He knew that's what Jesus did. That's the works of Jesus as he was walking through, as he was passing out through Jericho. And it was absolutely clear by that demonstration that sinners were a priority for Jesus. They were important and they were urgent. So shouldn't the same thing happen to us? Shouldn't because of the results of the gospel as we live out our lives individually and then as we live out our lives as a body, as a family, shouldn't people hear about and see what we're doing and be like, what in the world are they doing? Why are they doing what they're doing? And what's the purpose behind that? And why is it that they act like they act? And why is it that they love like they love? And why is it that they sacrifice how they sacrifice? And, and why are they interacting with these people? Wouldn't people, if this neighborhood saw us doing that, that they would come and be like, I want to see these people. I want to understand these people and what's going on. What is behind what they're doing? And that's what Zacchaeus came to do. And individuals can see the results of the gospel. They can see who Jesus is through our actions. But then ultimately, always, there has to be proclamation. It can never just be demonstration alone. We're changed by the gospel, and so we act and live in a different way, and people can see that. But then as they come and they see that, we have to proclaim. We have to speak. Like the gospel is good news. It has to be spoken and heard. And so that's what Jesus does. He's been demonstrating the, the gospel, and Zacchaeus seeks him out. He comes, he wants to hear more about him and see who this Jesus is. And then we see in verse 5, proclamation. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And you might say, well, that's not the gospel. That's... And I say, no, it's not. But Jesus said, You've seen what I've done. You've seen who I am. Now I'm telling you, I want you to come down. I'm proclaiming to you, come down. I want to go to your house. And basically what he's saying is that I want to have relationship with you. And that's the essence of the gospel is God wants to restore our relationships. And Jesus is saying, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house and I want to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want our relationship to be reconciled. It must be proclaimed. And Jesus proclaimed with words. And we can proclaim with words, our own words, as we try and describe and, and witness to what Jesus Christ, what the God has done in our lives. But ultimately, the greatest proclamation comes from God's Word. We have God's Word, and we have to get to proclaiming God's Word. As we demonstrate the Gospel, we have the opportunity to proclaim His Word to other people. And that we would trust that the Holy Spirit would interpret, the Holy Spirit would convict, the Holy Spirit would illuminate, would show us what this means, and would speak to people's hearts. We can demonstrate, we can proclaim our own words, but ultimately, the power is that we would proclaim God's Word. And a proclamation requires a response. You can either receive it, or you can deny it. And I tend to think, or we might tend to think, well, I don't have to receive it now, or I don't have to deny it now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disregard. I'm going to hold off. I'm going to consider that a little bit longer. I'll get to the point where I actually decide if I'm going to receive it or deny this gospel, if I'm going to receive or deny this message. But I'll tell you, even if you disregard it, that's denying. You either receive it or you deny. Yesterday, in the craziness of Nidia and her two cousins and Melanie, getting ready, going to San Diego for a wedding and returning, she communicated to me, she proclaimed to me that she needed two rotisserie chickens to be able to help prepare for this morning for the, for the meal that we're going to have after. And she also proclaimed at a different time that she needed the towels washed because we were out of towels, we have guests, all of our towels are dirty. 
Those were the two things. She said them separately. It was in the craziness of the, of the morning. But I heard them. And she communicated them. And in the moment, I didn't say, yes, I'll do that. In the moment, I didn't say, no, I won't do that. I disregarded it and I kind of put it to the side. And okay, I'll try and remember that. I'll try and get to that. And I'll try and take care of those two things. And then last night at 11.30, they're coming home and she's like, did you get the chickens? Did I get the chickens? No. Had I thought about the chickens? No. I said, I'm going to Vaughn's right now to get the two rotisserie chickens. All right? I went to Vaughn's. It was 11.30. They closed at 12. Were there any rotisserie chickens in the, in, the, in the storage area there? No. All the rotisserie chickens were gone. Do we have rotisserie chicken this morning that, we're gonna, that she used for her dish? No. This morning? She's getting up. She's cooking. All right? She comes. She's like, I need you to go put in the towels because I know you didn't wash the towels. I said, okay, I'll go do that right now. I'll go down to the laundry room in our apartment building. But wait, it's 6.50, okay? It's not going to open until 7. It says 7 on the door. But did it open at 7? No. Did it open at 8? No. Did I do the towels? No. Okay? I disregarded both of those proclamations, both of those things that she presented to me. So I denied them. And we do the same thing with Jesus. We can't say, well, I don't know if I accept. Well, I don't know if I deny. Well, let me just sort of think about it. Let me disregard you for right now. I'll come back to you at the right time when I'm thinking about it again to disregard the gospel, to disregard this proclamation of Jesus Christ is to deny Him as well. And so we have to consider, are we doing that? Because the next piece after this proclamation is, is, is our response. Is how are we going to receive this gospel? And as you look at verse 6, this is how Zacchaeus responded. Jesus told him, come down, I'm going to stay at your house. And Zacchaeus, so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. Up in that tree, something changed in Zacchaeus' heart and he heard what Jesus said and he responded and realized that it was an obedient reception. He heard what Jesus asked, he did what Jesus asked. Okay, Zacchaeus didn't get to the point where he says, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to invite you into my heart. Okay? I want you guys to just let that phrase that we would invite Jesus into our heart, just let it go. I don't want to ever hear that again. All right? We don't invite Jesus into our heart. Jesus pursues us. He's after us. He says, come down out of the tree. He says, this is what I've done for you. This is who I am. Will you receive it or not? And we decide, am I going to respond obediently and joyfully? Or am I going to disregard? Or am I going to deny? Jesus is after us. He is the host. He's inviting us. We're not in a place where we invite Jesus. Jesus comes after us. And he says, come down. He says, Will you, I'm going to offer my grace. Will you receive it? I want you to humble yourself and come down out of that tree. He wants us to humble ourselves. And then he says, I'll exalt you. Zacchaeus didn't deserve one bit to have Jesus at his house. He didn't deserve to sit at the table with the king of kings and, and dine with him and have a relationship with him. He was a tax collector. He was a sinner of sinners. Yet Jesus says, I'm going to sit with you. And so Zacchaeus, knowing that, how did he respond? It says he received him joyfully. That same word joyfully is the same word we heard as we considered these parables that Jesus shared. Remember as the, the shepherd went out to find the one lost sheep and when he put him on his shoulders, he returned joyfully. The same word as Zacchaeus realized, I'm lost and this Jesus, is as he's found me and I am joyful. As the prodigal son returned, 
In that story as well, the father says to the older brother, he says it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It was fitting to celebrate and be joyful for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. When we realize that we were dead and now we're alive, we were lost and now we're found, then we would be joyful. We would respond to Jesus joyfully. We would be so fired up. And it wouldn't fade. It wouldn't go away. We would be joyful day after day after day because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We wouldn't begrudgingly accept Him or hesitantly accept Him. Well, maybe, Jesus, I mean, I've got to weigh the options here and see if I really want to follow You, if I really want to trust You. We'd be like, give me, just give me that chance. Just let me follow You. I can't believe what You've done for me. And I feel this on a regular, regular basis. When I come home from work, it's one of the, my favorite parts of my day. They don't know. Sometimes I'm early. Sometimes I'm late. I like to keep them guessing. But I get to the bottom of the stairs to go up in our apartment to the door, and I've got a choice to make. Am I going to let them hear my footsteps as I come up the stairs, or am I going to kind of quietly go? And if they hear my footsteps, sometimes I can hear the kids start to run to the door, and sometimes the door will be open for me before I even get there. They'll receive me joyfully. They'll be so excited. Poppy! And they're running around. they all hugging me at the same time. And then sometimes I quietly do it and I hear them wherever they're at and they're paying attention and they see me at the door and they run and do the same thing. And it's the greatest feeling to be received joyfully. But then sometimes, and particularly over the summer, I'll come home and they'll be back in our bedroom and they'll be watching a movie. And so they're all on the bed and all their mouths are open like this going watching this movie, and I, I made my noise going up the steps, I, I made noise with the door, and I'm standing there in the den, and nobody is coming to greet me, nobody is receiving me, and then I go in the bedroom, like, and they don't even notice me. I'm like, your father's home, and they're like, hi, Poppy. And my point behind that is do we receive Jesus in the same way. And there might have been a time where we received Him joyfully and we heard Him there and we, oh, we came to Him and we put our arms around Him and we were excited about it and we were with Jesus. But then that gospel has gotten older and older. And yeah, I'm used to that gospel. I know Jesus Christ died for me. I know I was a sinner. I know I didn't deserve anything. Thanks God. Thanks Jesus. I appreciate it. Good to know you're still there. The same way that my kids occasionally do to me. Is that what your life looks like? Do you repeatedly receive Jesus with joy? Or are there times when you just... Hey, okay, I guess I'll follow you. I guess it's not so, you know, hard. I, I don't want to go to hell. I know I need to continue to follow you. You know what, but uh, this following you piece and this giving up my life and this you being my master, my Lord, oh, that's a little much. That's a little difficult. Obedient, joyful reception of Jesus will result in transformation. And then true transformation can be witnessed. It can be seen. That's what happens next. Zacchaeus receives him. And then in verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus' priority was transformed. 
If you look here, it says that Zacchaeus stood. It's like, so Jesus came into his house and Jesus dined with him. And you know they had this conversation. You know they were interacting. And Zacchaeus stood. It's literally, he stopped in his tracks. He stopped everything he was doing. It became so urgent. I've got to address you, Lord. And he says, Lord. He says, this is how important you are to me. You are Lord. That word literally means that you have control over me, that you are my master, that you are my owner now. And he says, I'm stopping everything. I'm going to stand before you. I'm going to say, Lord. And he addresses him that way. This relationship that he had with Jesus became the priority. Is Jesus our priority? Was he your priority this week? Was he your priority yesterday? Has he been your priority this morning? Or is your priority to serve him as Lord? Or is it to serve yourself? We have to continue to ask ourselves that question. Because priority, as we talked about with that chart, what's most urgent, what's most important, that's what we end up doing. right? And we make a choice every day, we make a choice multiple times during the day, what we choose to do, what we choose to be about, what is most important and what is most urgent to us, that's what we end up doing. Don't fool yourself to think that people make choices for you or that, well, these are just all the things that I have to do. You've chosen to have to do those things. And we've chosen what our priorities are. And I want to clarify, our salvation doesn't come by doing things. Our salvation comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Okay? But if we know Jesus Christ, then there will be things that are changed about us. That's the essence of biblical faith. If I believe that, if I have faith, it's by grace, through faith. But that faith doesn't remain alone. It starts alone. It's by grace completely. But it doesn't remain alone. God continues to enable me, continues to give us strength to be able to live for Him. Transformation happens and transformation can be witnessed. It can be seen. And when I think about transformation, the first thought, the first person, the first face that comes into my mind that I've seen in my life is Larry. Larry is not perfect. Larry has issues. Larry has not made it. But I have seen Larry eight years ago into where Larry is now, and I see a complete transformation of his life. I can see it. I can witness it. I know who he was, and I know where he was, and I know what he was doing, and now I know who he is and where he is and what he's doing. Because of that relationship that came, because he received joyfully Jesus Christ, it transformed him. It transformed his relationships. I used to watch him. We would go, and he would hustle money, and he would take advantage of people, and he would get more and more money from people. He didn't steal, but he would convince them and guilt them into giving him more and more so that he could support his habits, so that he could take care of his addiction. But now his addiction has been overcome. He has freedom in that. And yet now I see him interact with people and he goes to people and he's the first one to walk up to somebody in this park and be able to show them mercy and give them things. And do you want this? I've got this. I can give that out. I'm throwing things away at my house. And Larry says, I can give that out to people in the park. And instead of hustling for money, I want to tell you guys, because I'm so proud of what God is doing and excited. As of last night, Larry is uh, employed. Yeah. It's been a process to walk with him and to watch that, but Larry now has a job. He is employed. He is working for someone. He is a part of a team. He is getting paid. And I'm so excited about that. And I've seen Larry from hustling people now to going and serving people, going and working, to going and doing those things. Like the transformation is evident. 
And that's been something we've prayed for for a long time. And I just want to praise God for that because God is faithful. And so is your life, is what you do, is it different now than it was when you received Jesus Christ? Is it different now today than it was last year? Are you continuing to receive that? Is He continuing to change you? Are you different? Because we have to be, there's got to be something different. There's got to be transformation that occurs. If we have received the gospel joyfully and obediently, then our hearts will change and our lives will demonstrate it. It will show what's happened internally. Your life can't be the same as it was before you received Jesus. He's pursued you. He's demonstrated His love for you. You've heard the good news of the gospel proclaimed. You've received it obediently and joyfully. You've been and are being transformed in all of this because you now have, as we're about to see, you have salvation. That you've moved from death to life. You've moved from being lost to being found. You have a new identity. You will look different. You will be different. And so that's what we see in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house. Jesus called him out of the tree. He obediently and joyfully responded. He goes and it changes his heart. It transforms his heart. His life begins to change. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house today. Zacchaeus is recognized as a son. His position, his relationship has been restored. Remember, Zacchaeus was an Israelite. He was a Jew, but he had betrayed the Jewish people to be a tax collector for the Romans. He was, no longer had any identity. They, they, they dis, uh, disregarded him. They had cast him out. He didn't belong to anyone. And Jesus comes in. He says, Salvation has come, and I've restored your relationship. Now you're a son of Abraham. Now you're back in the family, in a sense. And that's what God does with us. And I don't think we understand that. Do we understand who we are in Jesus Christ? Do we understand our identity as sons and as daughters? Because if we realize that, we would be amazed by it. It would change everything about us. It would change our perspective. It would change what we do. It would change what we prioritize. If we realize that now I am a son, now I am a daughter. The gospel has to get personal for us. Just like it got personal for Zacchaeus, it has to get personal for us. It can't be head knowledge. It has to be something that we process and that we deal with. We have to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ or we're wasting our time. We should go do something else. And so as we move forward, I want to look at a story right before this. And it's a story that we're all familiar with. And it's a story that I think Luke intended for us to, to see together because... The story of the rich ruler that we're all familiar with, it's in chapter 18. Right after this rich ruler, then we see this encounter with Zacchaeus. So Jesus had encountered the rich ruler, and then he encountered Zacchaeus. And I think as we look at the rich ruler, we'll understand better this encounter with Zacchaeus, and then we'll understand better also where we stand. We'll be able to see accurately where we stand with our response to Jesus and His gospel. So we're going to contrast and compare these gospel encounters as Jesus encountered the rich ruler and as he encountered Zacchaeus. So let me read chapter 18, verse 18 through 23. It says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. 
And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So do you guys remember in school when you had to play like which one of these things is not like the other? Which one of these things does not belong? Right? You had to find out what is, what is it that's different. We're going to do the opposite of that. And we're going to look at all the things that are different so we can see what's the same about Zacchaeus and about the rich ruler. Okay, so let's go through what was different. Let's contrast. Let's find all the things that are not the same. Their status was not the same. There was a ruler and there was a tax collector. The highest position and the lowest position. They were exactly opposite. Their approach to Jesus, the rich ruler came seeking Jesus saying, I want something from you. I want you to tell me what I need to do to inherit so that I can earn eternal life. That's what I'm approaching. He came approaching, wanting something from Jesus. Zacchaeus, as we just talked about, he came, I just want to know who Jesus is. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. I just need to see this man. Their morality was completely a contrast. Zacchaeus, was a lost sinner. He was disregarded by everyone. He was completely sinful. The rich ruler, what did he say when Jesus said, he said, I've kept all these things from my youth. I've been religious. I've done all these things. I've been busy about not making sure that I don't do all the things that I'm not supposed to do. I follow the law. I've done everything that's been required of me. His morality in that sense was high and Zacchaeus' was extremely low. And then their response... In verse 23, what happens to the rich ruler? He walks away sad. He walks away distraught. Like the word actually, actually communicates, he walks away like con- contemplating death. Like, what, I can't do that. My life is over. I can't do that. And Zacchaeus, what does he do? We just said he receives him joyfully. Those are all the things that are different. Those are all the things that contrast. But what do you guys see as the one thing that's the same about Zacchaeus as it is for the rich ruler. What were the two things we learned about Zacchaeus that, that Luke tells us? He said Zacchaeus was a tax collector and Zacchaeus was he was rich. Zacchaeus was rich. The rich ruler was of course rich. That's the thing they had in common. And I will tell you that that's the point that the gospel confronted on both of them. In what way was Zacchaeus transformed that the rich ruler wasn't? You guys can look at that and say, well, he had a different view after meeting Jesus, after encountering Jesus. Zacchaeus had a different view about his money, about being rich, than the rich ruler did. And that's true, but I think there's a deeper issue. There's something underneath that. Because I think Zacchaeus realized his identity and he was willing to let go of his identity as a rich tax collector. And the rich ruler says, I want my identity. I'm keeping my identity. I don't want my identity to be transformed. And Zacchaeus had a change in the view of himself. He had a change in his view of God. And so therefore, it changed his view of others. He immediately, after he received Jesus joyfully, he stopped everything and says, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. Jesus didn't ask him to do that, but that's what he wanted to do. And here the poor are the, literally the destitute of wealth, of influence, of position, of honor. They're the lowly, they're the afflicted, they're the powerless. 
Much the same way of this lost sinner. They represent the same individual, the same type of person. But Zacchaeus' priority had changed, unlike the rich ruler, because of his interaction with Jesus. They both were holding on to this idea of their wealth, this idea of their money. And if you think about it, Zacchaeus had given up everything for money. He was a tax collector. He had given up for money. He had lost his identity as a Jew. He turned from his own people. For money, he had become he completely disregarded by everyone else. No one liked him. No one associated with him. He had lost all relationships. He had sacrificed every relationship. He was an outcast. All of that for money. The one thing he had was that he was rich. But when he encountered Jesus, he received this gospel of grace with joy. Receiving him with joy as a result of knowing Jesus. He says, now I know I have a new identity. I have an identity as a son of Abraham. I've regained my identity. He says, and now I've become highly regarded by God himself. I am treasured by God. He wants to come and to dine with me. And he's restored and he's reconciled this relationship that I have with God. So we see what happened with Zacchaeus internally. It made its way out. It became something that we could witness and that we could see because he had changed his identity with God because God had restored him because he realized he was a sinner and God had done for him what he couldn't do for himself. He's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to treat others differently now. Zacchaeus was able to sacrifice his position that he had with wealth. He sacrificed his money. It was what was most important to him was no longer most important. It was no longer the priority. His relationship and his identity with Jesus Christ was most important. The rich ruler, he wasn't willing to let go of that. And so not only was Zacchaeus willing to show compassion, not only did he give away half that he owned to the poor, to the, the undeserving, to the worthless, as he described them, it says he, he was willing to take great action. He went to those that he had wronged. He's like, these relationships that I have that have been wrong, I'm going to go make them right. Because God has made this relationship right with me. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't do it on my own. And now I'm going to go make these relationships right with the people that I have wronged. So those that I have taken money from, I'm going to restore four, fourfold what I've taken. He desired to restore those relationships, and it was at great cost. That was the result of the gospel in him. He received the gospel. He had salvation. What was most important to him is money was no longer most important. Jesus Christ is most important. And as a result, it changed everything in his life, and it changed his horizontal relationship. It changed how he loved others because he realized how he had been loved. The rich ruler, he didn't get that. The rich ruler, he wasn't willing to let go of his identity. He's like, I'm rich, I'm a ruler, I'll take that identity over the identity as your son. I'm not willing to sacrifice that. So whose encounter is more similar to yours? Is it Zacchaeus? Is it the rich ruler? If some days it's Zacchaeus and some days it's the rich ruler? I think we have to look at that long and hard and we have to consider that and we have to Ask God to show us that. Show us our hearts. Show us how I receive you. Do I receive you joyfully and with obedience? Or is it hesitantly? Is it sometimes I deny you? Sometimes I disregard you? How do we receive Jesus? Because the point of this is that we would be confronted with the reality of who God is, the reality of who we are, and the reality of our response to His gospel. That has to be first. Because Jesus saves the lost. That's the gospel. God only saves sinners. He doesn't save the righteous. He doesn't save those who trust in themselves. He saves sinners. 
The gospel is not just that even a lost sinner can come or that any lost sinner can come to Christ. The gospel is that only, only, only a lost sinner can come to Christ. Only a sinner can come to Him. The rich ruler wanted to know what action of obedience is required of me to earn salvation. What do you want from me, Jesus, so that I can earn salvation? Zacchaeus says... He responded spontaneously in obedience out of his heart, this gratitude because he had joyfully received what, he, what had been done for him that he couldn't do for himself. And as we were talking this week, Melanie actually shared with me, it's like we've got to learn, we've got to learn how to walk with the body, how to teach the body. What does it look like to be neighbor focused? What does it look like to love the lost? What does it look like to seek the lost? And that struck me, and I was thinking through that. And as I read through this passage, the first step, the first thing that we have to get is that we have to understand and we have to grasp the gospel. If we don't get that, we're wasting our time. If we don't go back to the gospel, if we're not gospel-driven, we can't be neighbor-focused. Because we have to have this personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We have to interact with Him. We have to realize that I am a sinner, that I have nothing to bring, that Jesus Christ invited me, that Jesus Christ did all the work, that Jesus Christ saved me, and I was a sinner myself. I have nothing different. I have nothing more. It's because of God's grace. And if I don't realize that, if I don't embrace that, if I don't understand the gospel, I can't go be neighbor-focused. I can't, as Zacchaeus did, go and be... He was obviously neighbor-focused. He was obviously... That was demonstrated in his life. We might do that for a little while. We might try harder. We might do a few things. But without that personal encounter, we'll lose motivation. We'll get frustrated. We'll start to judge other people. Are they deserving? Are they not deserving? Should we or shouldn't we? We'll start to hear the crowd. We'll start to hear the complaints. We'll start to hear the criticism. We'll start to think, well, they should do more. They should respond differently. But what I see here is if we go back to the gospel, we would obediently and joyfully respond and we would seek the lost and we would get to see Jesus Christ save the lost here in this neighborhood to love the lost we have to love the gospel so do you love the gospel do you love that does that amaze you it has to move us we have to love the gospel if we don't love the gospel we're just religious we're just going to be doing things, wasting our time if we don't love the gospel, if we don't understand who we are, who Jesus Christ is, and what He's done for us. Let's pray. Father God, You are so gracious with us and so good to us. Lord, I thank You for Your Word and that You would speak to us and that we can consider and pray over Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would allow us to understand and that Your Spirit would enable us to make application of this in our lives. Lord, that we would truly be able to come before You and ask ourselves, Lord, do we love the Gospel? Do we love grace? Or do we realize that we are sinners, that we are helpless, that we are hopeless, without you. But there's nothing that we can do, there's no obedience that we can offer that would earn us salvation. But that you came and that you invited us and that you pursued us and that you came after us even when we were sinners. Lord, I pray that we would remember that truth and that we would meditate on that truth, Father, on a regular basis, Father, and that you, because of that, would be the priority 
in our lives and that you would be the priority in this church, Father. And that because of that, Lord, because we love the gospel, Lord, we would be able to love our neighbor. We'd be able to be neighbor-focused. We'd be able to seek the lost here in this neighborhood, Lord. Lord, and I pray for the moment, I pray for the times when we get to see you save the lost, when we get to see salvation come to this place. Father, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would move in that way. And I pray that we would celebrate along with you, Father, as you save the lost. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.